The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Up until this moment, I had believed the story I was living. I had based my my identity on being the expert, the mom, the wife, and the cat, and the dog owner. I based myself on a story I had told myself. I built my life around the belief that I had to be perfect, that no one could ever know the doubt and pain I felt inside of me. My career was built upon being in the know, and if anyone saw that I didn't know, I would be left with nothing, sort of like how I felt at that very moment. I had told myself that I should be happy at all costs, that I was seeking enlightenment, that screaming positive affirmations at the top of my lungs would eventually drown out the negative ones I whispered. I told myself that eventually the thing called the law of attraction would kick in, that I indeed manifest all the goals I could imagine if I only meditated long enough, even if I never actually believed I deserved it. That didn't matter. Just be it, and it will be, right? You know, I think I probably could have written those words myself. I was reading this book, and it seems as if uh, we've had the same life, the same story. Quite, quite interesting. So I'm looking forward to this beautiful conversation that Betsy Chassie and I are going to have about her wonderful book, Tipping Sacred Cows. And this is the co-creator of the movie, What the Bleak Do We Know? I'm sure that many of you are familiar with that. Wife, mother, and award-winning producer of What the Bleak Do We Know, Betsy Chassie thought she had it all figured out until she realized that she didn't. The truth was she didn't know anything about happiness, love, spirituality, or herself. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. She is a filmmaker, author, speaker, and mother best known as the co-creator behind the film, What the Bleak Do We Know? Betsy is a featured blogger on intentblog.com and thedailylove.com. She's been a featured columnist for multiple magazines and online sites. And the book that we are discussing, again, is called Tipping Sacred Cows. So let's just dive right into this conversation, Betsy. It really does feel, as I was reading through this book, it feels like so much of my my life and my own experience and 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 kind of resonant of, of the book that I've released this year called Your Journey to Enlightenment because it was really about being radically honest and looking at life. And that is exactly what you did when you had your kind of initial um, uh, look at yourself. Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's always really, I always love talking to kindred spirits because I feel like that's kind of why I wrote my book was because I felt like there were so many of us in the world and we just needed to connect and share our stories and almost in a way do a collective, 
Oh, thank God. You know, um, I'm not alone. I'm not the only insane mom, wife, ex-wife, what, ex-girlfriend, sister, whatever on this planet, you know, that we're all kind of like really experiencing a lot of the same stuff. And that, that is what really brings about that, uh, the, the, the deep need for, you know, interconnectivity. You know, in the, in the New Age world, everyone talks about that we're all connected. And so often I feel like we don't feel that because I don't feel like we're really sharing our, our authentic true selves. And so it's great to hear you talk about that. You know, what, the way I'd love to begin this is for you to really talk about that morning of the epiphany because I think it really is now about being radically honest and being willing to not only face ourselves but be that intimate, vulnerable voice that's willing to say, here I am, and you know what? I might be pretty messed up. In fact, I, I probably know that I am and that life doesn't always work out the way that I would want it and that I've covered it up with masks and covered it up to look pretty, but now I'm about to draw the curtain. So talk about the epiphany, because I think it really is an amazing example to let other people have the permission to be that real for themselves and in front of the people in their own lives. Well, the key word that you said there, which is so profound, is permission. You know, for so long, I just did not feel that I had permission because I had sort of dug my grave, and now I'm going to lay in it, come hell or high water. And, you know, I didn't talk about this in the book, but it's been really interesting that I've been on a tour now for a while. The book has been out for a couple months, and I've been talking to lots and lots of people. And this one woman who was, I think she's probably in her 80s, you know, she came to me and she said, you know, in my generation, we didn't have permission, and then you were raised by women from my generation. And so in a way, you really have this, it's not, it's not intrinsic in your nature. You know, your daughter will have permission because you're giving it to her. But, but that was so amazing for me because for so long, you know, I just kept doing what I was doing because I, could, I can't change this. There's no, it's, it's almost as if there's some, un, there's some rule written in blood somewhere that says once you make a choice about the way you're going to live your life, you're stuck forever. And then you just get to this point, at least I came to this point where I just couldn't, I could not do it anymore. I, I, it, like I was going to die one way or the other. You know, it wasn't like I was going to commit suicide. It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of death. It was just that either I was going to do this live this way for the rest of my life and then basically live a lie for the rest of my life or I was going to change. And one, one of the, and, and, and I, it was almost that moment of like, I felt like if I didn't do it then, I, I, may, never, I may never get the guts to do it again because it's so frightening because you look around you and you've built, you know, you've, you've got cement in the ground, you know, and, and it's so permanent. It feels so permanent and it feels like it would ne- you can never change this. And um, for me, it was it was it was baby steps and and gigantuan leaps almost simultaneously because I think for me and my own personality, if I didn't just take a big leap at once, I probably wouldn't have made it. Yeah, most people would have a real challenge, you know, to state and and you very clearly state in here, you know, I'm an ex- expert and I've made a movie about creating reality and finding bliss and. You've been reading books forever and you've been listening to speakers and gurus and you even collected proof on some things to show this kind of wisdom and yet you discovered that you really and had to admit to yourself that you really had no idea what happiness and bliss looked like or even what spirituality means and I found that so liberating because honestly I think that's where everyone is and they won't tell the truth. 
So talk a little bit about that feeling and getting to the point of being able to even uh, have the courage to say it. Well, it's it, you know it was interesting. I was just at a, a very famous uh, retreat center this weekend, and I had to do a talk. And I was unhappy with my talk last night because I held back, and I held back partially because I was in this very famous retreat center, and I felt like you know, oh my God, I have to be what they expect here, and I have to play mm-hmm. by the rules. And I and and you know, people that were there were like, no, you were great, and I just felt in my heart like I just didn't do it because. You know, we spend a, it's like we spend our whole lives trying to, you know, live up to the, the, the game, the end game, the program. And then, you know, we look around and everybody else is doing the same thing. And everybody else is trying to, you know, live up to and be the same and, and have the same things and have the same stuff. And it's no different in the sort of new age, new thought, spiritual community. You know, I, I jokingly say this, and I, and I say it with love. Um, you know, the new age movement is supposed to be about non-judgment and, and um, you know, non-dogmatic, no dogma. And in a lot of ways, we're just as judgmental and dogmatic as, like, other fundamentalists, you know? And I felt like... I just couldn't connect with people when they would say, I'm a very spiritual person, or this is what spirituality means. And it's so, there were so many different versions and so many different ways that were supposed to be the right way that I just finally said, you know what, I, I give up. I think that spirituality for me, I just gave it a real broad, I gave it a real broad stroke. And that, you know, to be, to be spiritual means to be alive. You know, we're living a spiritual life. You know, there is no, in my opinion, getting on a path. You're on the path. You were on the path, mm. depending on who you believe, either A, you're reincarnated and you've been on this path for a long time, or, you know, a more simpler approach. The moment you were born, you set off on a journey. And the journey's going to take you on all sorts of different roads and in all sorts of different adventures, and some of the time it's going to be awesome and some of the time it's going to suck. But this is your path. And I finally had to give myself permission to go, okay, I'm just on my path. It, it isn't right, it isn't wrong, it just is, and this is it, and then I can, it gave me the permission to say, oh, okay, so I don't have to make sure I'm making a right turn or a left turn, I'm just going to keep going, there's no end game, there is no, like, okay, now I've meditated, it's like, you know how airline pilots have a certain number of flight hours and then they can fly planes, you know, it doesn't mean that after a certain number of meditation hours, now I'm enlightened, you know, there is, there is no enlightenment, there is no end of the game. It's a journey. And, and that's so true. And you talk about things being the sacred cows and, and, and removing the sacred cows. Talk what, about what the sacred cow is so that people understand how that might show up in their life. So a sacred cow essentially uh, is anything that is held up against criticism. It's things that we believe or we take on faith and we never question. They just are. And what we humans do, I mean, one of the things I, that I began to do when I began this process um, at, the, at the beginning of my divorce and I began to ask the questions was I finally had to admit myself to myself that really I don't know how to work this brain and this body. We have these machines. You know, I can drive a car. I can work a toaster. I can turn coffee on in the morning. Um, but I actually didn't really, you know, know how to operate this machine. And, I, I mean, I did intellectually, I could explain it to you, but really understand it. And what was the most profound aha moment for me, and there were many, was that 
essentially, I construct my reality based on what I believe to be true. So, and I carry along these beliefs that I've been gathering since I was a child, and I put them away, and I put them on my little shelf, and then I take them out as needed. And what you don't realize is that a lot of those beliefs just become part of your subconscious, and you don't even know that you have them. Things like most of the beliefs, I think, for many women and men, too, revolve around our self-worth. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not... uh, good enough, I'm not wealthy enough, I'm not whatever, insert whatever, I'm not enough in there. And we believe that. So then we begin to construct our lives around that belief. Every relationship that we have carries those, we we construct around those beliefs, everything we do in our work, everything we do with our bodies, everything comes from what we believe. So once I understood that I'm a belief collecting machine and then by beliefs then construct my perception of my reality meaning how I'm going to see it it was very it wasn't easy but it was easier for me to understand why I was living the life that I was living and how I could then deconstruct that and then decide do I want to live my life from the belief system that I'm not beautiful enough to have love or I'm not smart enough to have success is that how I want to live my life And if the answer is no, then I need to deconstruct that belief system and then build a better foundation or a different belief system around, hey, I am pretty damn smart. You know, gee, I can have success. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And can you go into a little bit about how when we have these beliefs, how do the, the, the lies or the masks then get constructed and start to layer upon one another, uh, so that we end up at this place? Um, right. where we don't know who we are and we, we all of a sudden are living the life that we really never wanted in the first place, despite what it looks like. You know, it's interesting because it's kind of, it sounds very convoluted and crazy because if, you know, if I believe that I'm not worthy of love, then you would think that I would run around and be victimized by that. And some people are, but some people do something different, whereas that I might have a belief that I'm not worthy of being loved. So then what I'll do is begin to protect that belief by outwardly wearing a mask of confidence or um, security or know-it-all because I don't want people to really know what's going on in the deep, dark bowels of my brain. I want them to, to, I want to be out there pretending to be what's going to be acceptable. And what's acceptable is smart, intelligent, you know, got-it-all-together woman, not insecure, I don't feel good about my body woman. And so we have this tendency to protect these belief systems. On, on an, uh, we put on these personas, these masks. But deep inside what's happening is that they're really controlling us. So somebody might come into my life that really loves me, but because I'm incapable, because I don't believe I'm worthy in love, I'm actually incapable of accepting love, and I'll push him away. But I'll go for the person that probably isn't capable of loving because that that, that feeds my belief system, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. I won't be loved, so I'm going to validate my belief system. The other thing that's interesting about humans is that we're like, we love evidence. We collect evidence to, to protect our beliefs. So we're constantly out looking for something that matches our belief system. So I'll end up in a relationship with a guy that doesn't love me because my belief system says that I don't believe I'm worthy of love. And then when he doesn't love me, I'm right. 
and so that I can just keep going on with that. Instead of stopping for a minute and saying, wow, I have a problem taking love in because I've believed for so long that I'm not worthy of love. I'm not even seeing that this person is loving me, and I've driven them away. Mm. In a book that's anything but quiet, Betsy tells it like it is. Her witty yet unflinching dissection of her own experience exposes the fragile beliefs that we all hold dear, giving readers the freedom to break away from their old paradigms and patterns and gleefully frolic through the fields of cow tipping as well. In the process, readers will create a whole new reality for themselves. I'd like you to sit back and just hear this passage and see where it matches up in your own life and whether you're ready to list off the lies that you're living with. Still lying in my bed, staring up at the ceiling, I started playing through, like a montage cliche, the movie of my life. Every piece, every story, every truth, every belief from my faith to my lack thereof, everything I thought I knew. And one by one, I dismantled all of it, leaving no room to justify my story to placate it, or to appease it with the logic and illusion my sacred cows had previously so easily provided for me. One by one, I kicked the pieces off. My marriage, a lie. Wealth, a lie. Spiritual know-it-all, a big fat lie. Where are the lies in your life? I urge you to look up the book, Tipping Sacred Cows by Betsy Chaffee, who is also the co-creator of What the Bleep Do We Know? And you can find out more about her at BetsyChaffee.net. That's B-E-T-S-Y-C-H-A-S-S-E dot net. We'll be right back with Betsy Chaffee and Tipping Sacred Cows. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at Simron-Singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. 
as I left my own 18-year arranged marriage and decided to get in an RV with my two children and go around the country on the Rebel Road Tour, it has been an exciting adventure of unknowing and discovering the unknown. It was an opportunity to really realize how to love myself fully, how to step out of conformity and into courage, how to live life in full commitment and aliveness, understanding that there are no need for teachers and gurus any longer, just the simple need to discover the realness, the intimacy, the vulnerability of ourselves and be the example of that for other people so that we do give them permission to do the same. The Rebel Road Tour is alive and well, and we've just come back from an amazing stint in Sedona, Phoenix, Taos, and Albuquerque, and we will continue on. The 11-month tour will soon be ending, and our final cities will take place in June. So check out the website, therebelroad.com. And if you'd like to discover how you have been conforming in your own life and step out of that, then get my new book, Your Journey to Enlightenment. It will take you very seriously through a place of radical honesty with yourself as you then are led into the beautiful journey of discovering how to be the divine child and live life from that perspective of wonder and playfulness and openness that the child is. Actually, the book that my guest has and my book would be wonderful companion pieces because they really have such similar messages. And my guest is Betsy Chastity, and her book is Tipping Sacred Cows, really giving you uh, a live perspective of someone being radically honest and allowing you to truly understand how to move through letting go of some of these cows that you hold so sacred in your life. In Tipping Sacred Cows, Betsy Chastity takes readers on a playful romp through the muddy fields of spirituality, urging them to tip over their own sacred cows of belief and realize that they do have a choice a choice to believe the stories we tell ourselves or to create new ones. Welcome back, Betsy. You know, you talked about, and I know that you bring a lot of spirituality into question in regards to the book because there is so much there. We've bought into uh, just a whole new dogma of how we're supposed to do spirituality or what it's supposed to look like or we kind of run after teachers and gurus and, and do all these things to try to get to a certain place. Is, are there other areas in our life that those sacred cows are being held? Is it also government? Is it also uh, in regards to our health? Does this span across the board in regard to anywhere that we're holding beliefs? Oh, of course it. I mean, your entire worldview is held based on your belief systems. You know, I mean, <clears throat> everything that you think is basically... you. Let me see if I can explain this. Everything that's in your reality that you see is based on your perception of, of it. So, for instance, if you believe that you are somehow a victim of, you know, your circumstances, then you're going to become a victim of the government, too. You're going to blame everybody else. You're going to constantly blame the corporations. You're going to constantly blame, you know, the big the government. It's always somebody else's fault, you know, because I'm a victim, because everything's always happening to me, and it's, nothing's ever good is going to happen to me. So, and yeah, then of course, I'm going to go to the DMV, and the line's going to be long. I mean, you just start perpetuating these beliefs, and then they happen. It was sort of like a perfect example is this morning. You know, I was cranky. I had to get up really early and drive, and I had a headache, and I was tired, and I got in my car, and I'm driving from up in Northern California, and I'm heading down, and I went to this restaurant. Uh, this place, it was like the third place finally had food and coffee open, and I was just like, for God's sake, finally. And I go up there, and I order, you know, what they had. I didn't want, so I ordered this special order, and, and, and I paid, like, way too much for it. And the whole thing was, like, it's just a horrible experience. And I sat down, 
And I looked over at this other menu item, and I realized I could have just had that, but it was kind of small, and I didn't really look hard enough. And the guy behind the counter could have told me about it, too, right, because it was very similar. But I was just in no place to see anything other than I'm cranky, I'm annoyed, this is probably going to be crappy food, and I just want to get it and get on the road, you know? So that was my worldview at the moment, that every, you know, this, I'm tired of this road, I'm tired of this car, and so that was my worldview. So I put, you know, I, I made it, I made it so. And that's a very, you know, it's a very simplistic example, but you, but, but if you look at your life, if you begin to really look around you at your relationships, at your job, at the things you buy, you will start to see what it is that you really believe. You know, for me, a big thing was like um, clothes, you know, because I'm not tall. You know, I'm short. I'm five foot two. And I've never been the skinny mini. And I've always had hips and a butt. And and I constantly would go look at the pictures of the tall girls and all the clothes they were wearing and say, well, I want to wear that. Then I'd go to the store and try that on, and it wouldn't look good on me. Of course it's not going to look good on me. And then I would feel terrible, and I would buy something baggy and covering my body and leave the store. I, what I could have done was just gone, okay, what really looks good on my body? How can I dress my body so that it, it does what fits me, not what fits that picture? And, and so that's what we do, you know? So I, I know in the book you talk about one of your favorite books being Dr. Joe Dispenza's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, and you really break it down into a nice description as to what happens in the brain with belief and meaning and the cells. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, that the neurons of the brain start shooting around and are triggered at that synaptic right. level? What, what takes place there? Well, like I said before, you know, we're belief-collecting machines, and that's how our, our brain is a computer, and it begins to, to attach things together so that it can tell you a story. So it, and it all starts very young and mostly unconsciously. You'll have an I tell a lot of stories about my kids in my own childhood and moments and things that occurred that, 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 were, that changed me or my, my daughter or my son on a cellular level that they weren't even aware of. So something might happen to you when you're a child. An example is when I was a little girl, my brother called me his hippo, his little hippo. And for a while, as a small child, three and four, I kind of thought that was neat. And I liked it because hippos were cute and, and they were you know, pink and they were in storybooks, right? But eventually, as I got a little older, like five and six, I began to look at hippos and go, wow, they're really short and fat. And in that same time frame, I was also getting ready to go to kindergarten, and I was very tiny as a child. I was born premature, and I was like five pounds at birth, and I was like literally a head taller than everybody in my class. So I was constantly being referred to as, oh, she's so tiny, she's so, she's so petite, she's so short. So now I'm thinking short, you know, tiny person, not bigger than everybody else. But, you know, and I also would go to the store and I wasn't the best at, my mom always put me in stretchy pants because I kind of had a bit of a hips and jeans were uncomfortable. So then I had that. So all of a sudden, all these little things are starting to piece together in my brain, telling me a story, which is that you are short and you, you can't wear normal clothes. And as I got older... I would begin to hear more reinforcements, you know, things that, that maybe were just kind of thrown out off the cuff and maybe didn't have much meaning to somebody who was saying, but in my little story that was being built around my body, my brain was making, connecting the dots. It started connecting the dots to short and fat. So eventually what happens is even if somebody said to me something like, 
oh my gosh, you're so cute. You're like a little pixie. Now that could be taken as a compliment. But for me, it was an insult. Because I was like, oh, there's just somebody telling me that I'm short and fat. I can't even hear anything else. My brain has already built the program. So all it does is it runs the program. The synapses fire, they connect, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together, hippo, short, petite, chubby, big hips, not normal clothes. There's my, there's my self, body, self, image p- pattern built. And then I just, and then every step that we take from that point on, we've got a certain perspective, so we're only going to see it basically from that perspective and those continual reactions, so it just keeps that whole system going. I'll tell you a very funny example about this. So I have a great boyfriend who I adore, and I, I was getting ready to go on my book tour, and I went out and bought a couple of new dresses. And so I bring them home, and I show them the dresses, and I put one on, and he looks at me, and he goes, oh, that's, he goes, oh, that's hilarious. I love the whole cow look, right? And I'm mm. like, <laughs> I, I'm like, did you just say I look like a cow? And because that's, I was like, oh great, now I look like a cow. And he just started laughing, and he goes, no, it's funny. Your dresses are black and white, and it kind of has a cow pattern. And your book is called Tipping Sacred Cows. I thought you did that on purpose. And oh. you know, and it was just so funny because once he explained to me what he was saying, it made perfect sense. Like it was, it was totally appropriate for him to say. And you know. It, I just decided to hear, oh, now someone else is telling me you look like a cow because that's my program. You know, that's yeah. what we do. The programs. You talk about one of the biggest sacred cows being the difference between talking about something and being it. And you go into really saying that everything from quantum physics to crystals to aura readings to all these things, especially that so-called New Agers or spiritual people have a habit of, of utilizing are really just another dogma and that we use this as a way to escape from doing our real work. And talk about what that real work is and and talk about why you believe those are just more of these sacred cows. Well, I think the the concepts that I talk about in the book, I call them sacred cows, not because they're not true, but because most of the time we don't actually understand them and we don't really, we take, you know, I love the Western spiritual movement because it likes to take all the fun parts of the work and do that and then kind of like pretend the other side doesn't exist. And so we have this tendency to talk about the light, to talk about, you know, the universe as if it's some sort of divine vending machine that plops stuff down in front of us as we so desire. And we love to walk around saying that we're in bliss and we we live in unconditional love. But really, I think those just have become buzzwords and pat sentences that we use because what we're oftentimes discouraged from doing is spending time in the dark side, is spending time, you know, when you, you're told if you have a negative thought, you're going to manifest it. Don't focus on that negative thought. So you keep shoving the negative thought away. For me, I realized what I had to do was take a minute and go, okay, wait a second. Instead of shoving all those negative thoughts away and ignoring them, perhaps I should have a conversation with them. Perhaps I should ask. Why are you here? What is it that I need to know? What is it that you're trying to tell me? So that then I can understand the, the core, the, the root of that thought. And then, you know, if it's a sacred cow that's based on a belief system that's not serving me, I can get rid of it as opposed to just saying, oh, no be it, I'm not going to think about that. I am, I am. Just say I am louder. Just say it louder. And that's kind of what I meant by talking about some of these concepts is that we get we get pushed into don't, don't feel, 
anger is bad, negativity is very bad, and those are all judgmental things. You know, sometimes spending time with a negative thought has a really profound effect on your life, but you can't do it if you're afraid to have it. Mm. You you also talk about two sacred cows being the law of attraction or the statement, I create my reality, and I, I agree with you. So many people sit there and think that the law of attraction works this one way but have left out that piece of diving into the feeling or the shadow side or the understanding of what's laying beneath the surface of us. So how would you now phrase that people should more accurately uh, embrace the law of attraction or that belief of I create my reality in a way that it doesn't become the dogma? Well, the first thing for me is that I've really kind of gotten rid of those phrases in my life because I have to just, I, I take it down to this, personal responsibility. You know, I have to be incredibly clean about what I'm giving out. So, and then I have to be clear about why I'm doing that. So, for instance, you know, a lot of people will make a vision board and on their vision board they'll put, you know, the six-foot two blonde woman, the gorgeous house, the Mercedes, and all these things that they want. But they won't have actually done the work to understand why it is that they want that or what does it really represent to them. So I, mean, I use the example a lot in my book of the Mercedes, you know. why? So for me, I had to ask, well, why do, what does the nice car really represent to me and why do I need that in order to have that experience? So... I can then understand, oh, if I have the Mercedes, it means that I'm successful. It means that I'm accepted. It means that I've done good. It means that I'm worthy. So now I've created this external experience to give me a feeling. So then I ask myself, well, how can I create that feeling without having to have anything attached to it? And so, you know, when you say things like, you know, I'm really working on the law of attraction so that I can attract the perfect man, you know, I tried to do that for a while, and I only attracted assholes, quite frankly. And what, it wasn't until I finally said, oh, actually, I'm not going to use the law of attraction at all. I'm just going to be who I am in the moment that I am and be real about what I am, and then what will come will come. You know, it's not like the one thing I think people get stuck in is this notion that I'm attracting you. It's not that I'm attracting you. I'm actually attracted to you. I see you. And the reason that I see you is because I'm, in this current moment, my belief system is around the ability to see you. So that's, it's not like I have some sort of magnet and I'm sucking people in left and right. You know, people bounce into each other. We're all sort of having our own experience. You're living your reality based on your perception. I'm living mine. And we get together. And if somehow ours gel for a minute, we hang out. Because like does like, we, we do like things that are similar or that feed our belief system. But it's not like I'm somehow going to, you know, meditate for six hours and a Mercedes is going to come flying out of my ass. It just doesn't work that way. You know, you have to do the work around understanding why you're doing it. And that's, I think, the disconnect for people. You know, they say, I am, I am, I am. And then they, the, then there's this whole layer of doubt and fear and, and disbelief that they're just ignoring because they keep saying, you know, fake it till I make it. And you can fake it till you make it as long as you're doing the work to clean up, you know, going and picking up the cow poop of why you're wanting all those things and what those things really represent to you. You know, I think the beauty of this book is the bit of irreverence 
that Betsy writes with in this realness, in this way of putting thoughts and feelings and ideas in our heads that somewhere inside we really wish we could say, but we don't necessarily say because we don't do the work to get there. And so I want to read a passage to you as to why she wrote the book, and this is in her words. Maybe it was because I decided it was okay to flail and fuck up and be lost, and I could finally see others in my sphere going through the same thing. It felt like a sudden mutual event where together we all heaved a collective sigh or relief that we didn't have to put on the show any longer, at least amongst ourselves. My path doesn't have to look like anyone else's, and it's cool if my way is different from yours. After reaching this conclusion, I began to really enjoy the contradictions, the multiple dimensions that we all have. I learned that it's possible to me more than one thing at a time, that I could hang out with the vegans and not feel guilty because I was a killer of cows. I like meat, damn it, and I'm not going to rot in bovine hell for it, and I really started to like not knowing. It's nice to be able to accept the sense that an idea or concept has the weight of meaning without needing to dissect every last bit of why it seems like a weighty idea. I began to like the mystery of spiritual ambiguity. This is from the book Tipping Sacred Cows by Betsy Chassie. She is also the co-creator of What the Bleak Do We Know? And it is a wonderful book to get just a realistic voice that really is allowing you to free yourself from many of the beliefs and the ideas that you may have been, may have bought into in society, from friends, from family, but especially about spirituality. You can find out more about Betsy and her book, Tipping Sacred Cows, by going to BetsyChassie.net. That's B-E-T-S-Y-C-H-A-S-S-E.net. We'll be right back with some more Tipping Sacred Cows. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. I just want to invite you to take a look at 1111 Magazine. The latest issue was put up a couple of weeks ago, and it is filled with some beautiful articles from people around the world sharing their wisdom and a lot of their own insight. In addition, there are many pictures of the first couple of months of the Rebel Road Tour. The new issue will be out in another two weeks, and I invite you, if you're not familiar with it, to truly dive into the beautiful pages and all of the beautiful expression that comes through to support you on your own journey into self-realization. In addition, you can look up my books, Conversations with the Universe, to discover how the signs, symbols, and synchronicities speak to you and allow you to be guided your own way just by the way the world is talking to you. In addition, your journey to enlightenment, 12 guiding principles of love, courage, and commitment in the new dawn, a way to develop more love, more courage, and more commitment so that you truly live a life of authenticity and realness for yourself. My guest today is Betsy Chassie, and we are discussing her book, Tipping Sacred Cows. And this is a great example of someone that's really decided to be radically honest with themselves and then share that message with the world in a way that we really look at what we're believing, how we're being, and what we're doing in our lives, whether we've lifted up and kept the masks on, sticking to parts and pieces of our life that really do not resonate with us and then still wondering why we don't have the exuberance, the light, or the happiness that we once sought. This will definitely challenge a lot of your thoughts around spirituality in addition to what you have going on in your world that may no longer be serving you or may need to be reframed in a different way. Betsy, talk about fear. Is that, uh, how is that a sacred cow? Well, you know, it's, it's pretty much, I think, it's just so much of what we are now. I mean, it, 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 I find even, you know, so much of my own life still, even as I've tipped over so many cows, I still have to face that fear that comes up when I'm going to make a choice or a decision or I'm going to do something that might put me out and put me out there in a way that I might be uncomfortable with. It, it really governs a lot of our choices. You know, we, we're in this world that is very fear-driven. You know, you're not good enough if you're not six foot, you know, tall and blonde and blue-eyed and have big boobs. You're not good enough if you don't drive this car. You're not good enough if you don't have this job. You know, you're not good enough if you don't have a house. You're not good enough. And so, you know, we constantly are trying to catch up and be and, and succeed and, and do all of these things that we're supposed to do. And we live in fear of being rejected if we don't. And we live in fear of not being loved if we don't. So it's very, it, it, like, it's very submersive, and it, it, it permeates just about everything, it, I feel like, sometimes. And it's interesting because even now, you know, I've written this book, and I'm on this tour, you think, okay, once again, I think I should have figured it all out. You know, there are still days when I have to sit with the uncomfortableness of the fear and really be with it enough to be able to move beyond it, you know, because then you just get better at at it's always there, it seems like. There's always an insecurity or a fear that this is going to happen or that's going to happen, and if I do this, this won't work. And, and so 
for me, the work really is just going, okay, you have this fear that this is going to occur. What would be the worst thing that would happen, you know, if, if that did happen? What would be the worst thing? Kind of be with it for a while, and then you, have to, then you can step over it. You can, you, can, you can say, okay, I've experienced you. I've seen what you look like. Now I'm going to go forward. And most of the time, the funny thing is that, you know, it doesn't even happen. You know, it's like we, we, we have the most amazing lives in our head, <laughs> and sometimes they're tragic, and 90% of what goes on in our head doesn't actually happen outside in the real world. You know, and we wouldn't know that if, because so often we just say, oh, I, 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 can't, I can't go through that, so I, I stop. So it's about just being willing to sort of say, okay, this might happen, and I'm going to live even if it does, doing it. And then you'll start to see that most of the time it's just a crazy thought monster is what I call them. You also talk about the forgiveness pill as being another type of, of sacred cow, and I think that, that um, you do have a, a strong point there in regard to how we use forgiveness, and, and possibly it is a, a means of escape for some of us to even to face what we really want for ourselves. Speak a little bit about that forgiveness pill. Well, the first thing is that, you know, forgiveness is a big sacred cow, you know, and, and it's something that we're told that if we don't do, we'll never be happy, we'll never move on, it'll always eat away at us, and we'll always have anger and misery. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that's true. But it was the, the greatest lesson I got on forgiveness was through my kids, um, one day, you know, my son might have hit my daughter, or I don't know, they were having an argument, and I said to them, okay, so you have to apologize to your sister, and my son said, okay, I'm sorry, and she said, it's okay, I, I, I accept your apology, and I thought, whoa, wait a minute, that's interesting, and I thought about how I've done forgiveness and how I've seen other people do forgiveness, and, and I was in a situation in my life where somebody wanted my forgiveness but hadn't really done anything to earn that, just expected that I should forgive because it's a spiritual thing to do. And I realized oftentimes forgiveness is offered up um, because everyone just wants to move on. Everyone wants to make it feel that everybody feel better. And what happens sometimes is we give the message that, you know, hey, what you did is okay and I forgive you because I've given you forgiveness. I've now also given you permission to do that again to me or to somebody else. And so the first thing I had to clean up in the concept of forgiveness is that forgiveness is not something that should anyone should ever have to do for any other reason other than they choose it. It shouldn't be held over in my head that I'll never be happy if I don't forgive. There are certain things that people have done to be in my life that I don't think are very okay. And I don't really like that person anymore. And they're not going to be allowed in my life anymore. And so I don't need to forgive them. I just need to move on. You know, I just need to be done. You know, that's the thing. It's like, I don't, it, it felt to me like so often like forcing myself to forgive them because it was a spiritual thing to do or, or that was what was going to give me happiness made me feel even worse. It wasn't until I gave myself permission to say, you know what, you actually don't have to forgive that person. You can move on. You can be done with the experience. You can take the wisdom. You can learn from that, wow, this is what happened. This is how I allowed that to happen in my life. I'm not going to do that anymore. Got it. Moving on. Yeah. yeah, some people would say that that's selfish or that's just thinking of myself and it's not looking at what's going on around me. And, and oftentimes the New Age mo- movement kind of gets that rap of, of it needs to be about 
um, everyone in the world and, and about all that we're supposed to give to the world, and I'm supposed to kind of disappear in that equation at some point if I'm truly in that place of love. Can you speak to any of that as to whether it really is all about me or if it really is all about what's out there reflecting me? So here's the thing. A, it is all about me because I'm the one having the experience. But it can be all about me and I can be loving and kind and compassionate and all of those things and have empathy and sympathy and 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 generosity, those are all traits that I have. But, you know, if there's no rule that says that if some other person who has their own individual identity, their own belief system, their own behaviors, their own reality that they're doing, and that they do something to me, there's no rule that says, oh, I have to love them anyway because otherwise that's the spiritual thing to do. Because we put this idea that love means it's almost like it's being a doormat. You can love that person in a way that doesn't make you a doormat. And when I mean I can love that person who hurt me, the way I'm loving them is by getting them out of my life. I'm letting them go. I'm setting them free. They're off. They don't have to be in my reality. That could be as much as, that's just as much unconditional love as me giving them something false and pretending to be something I'm not just to appease them. So you, we have to be honest about what we're doing. If you're going to say, I'm going to forgive that person and be unconditional love, but it isn't really what you're doing, what it isn't what you feel, you're lying. And so you're not actually doing it. It's more loving to say, you know what? Thank you very much. Be gone with you. That is more loving because then you, well, and you, it, you don't interact with their, their energy. You're not in their life. They're not in your life. Everybody's moved on. And it sounds yes, to like where you really are is you, you're saying to people, get to a place of clarity about what you believe, get through all of the haziness of the lies that have been created, and get to the crux of the matter so that when you make that decision of where you stand, that you feel good about that decision, and then how it plays out is how it's meant to play out. Am I getting that correctly? Yeah, and oftentimes when you're clean, it's, I mean, it's the thing that I try to do, to do in my life, and as much as I can. Look, we're all assholes. Excuse me for cursing on your radio show. I apologize. I have a, you read my book. You know I have a bit of a potty mouth. Um, they're just so we're all <laughs> we're, we're all jerks, right? We're, we're, we all do stuff to people. The trick for me is that I'm now going to live in integrity, which doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I walk around floating or on, on water because somehow I'm better than anybody. It means that I'm not going to act maliciously with real intent to, to cause harm. There's this really interesting concept in Buddhism about living the right way. And people often take this to mean all sorts of different things. But what it really means is that am, is, are my actions going to cause harm to me or to anyone else? Am I doing this intentionally? Am I intentionally going to do this behavior because it's going to hurt that person? That's not operating with integrity. If you do something to someone and you step back and you go, wow, I really did not realize that I was doing that. Now I have a better perspective and a broader vision of my behavior and you apologize and I accept, that's different. That's diff- and that's an opportunity for forgiveness. But a lot of times we don't do that. You know, a lot of times we just say, well, it's 
big saying in New Age movement, well, it's just your perception. That's just your experience of me. You know, we have to get back to personal responsibility. I have to check in. If somebody says, wow, Betsy, you just did something that really hurt me, I have to stop and go, okay, I don't think I had an intention of hurting this person. Clearly, they've been hurt. Let's figure out where we are in our perception. How did you, what did you hear? What did you, what were your thoughts when I did what I did so that I can understand you better, so that I can understand how I hurt you? That's, you know, that's living with integrity, you know, and sometimes you just have to look at yourself and say, you know, I don't, what this person is saying is true and now I understand, yes, how I hurt them, take this and and apologize, or say, you know, I don't, I think this person's just projecting on me and that's, you know, and I'm really sorry, I can't change that. And to be really clean about that stuff, but we have to be honest. It's not something that you can just go, oh, you're projecting on me and walk away. It's, that's what I mean when we, I say really doing the dirty work. It's like really well, it also sounds like what you're stuff. saying is it's not just about um, getting clean, but it's being willing to engage with the other person and both people being willing to dialogue and communicate in that instead of just turning and walking away. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that I've come to realize is that in uh, this is a radical statement but I, it, 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 maybe it's over exaggerated but I feel like for the most part in my life I probably never had an authentic interaction with someone because most of the time the things that I'm saying are coming out of my mouth based on my belief system and then you say something and then I hear you through my belief system It's like my honey and the cow. Like, he was making a joke, and it was being funny, and he was being cute, and he was doing a little thing on my book. I didn't hear any of that. I heard him calling me a cow. Now, normally, most of us women would have gotten really pissed off at him and stormed off and spent an hour in our room crying because now we're fat. It took me a minute to go, oh, wait a minute. What exactly did you mean? Can you explain that to me? Like, we just never ask those questions. And so we, we, get, we go to upset instantaneously. We go to being offended instantaneously. When most of the time, the person is not trying to do any of that. That was something big for me, was for me to really stop and go, this person is not trying to be mean to me. They're just communicating in the way that they know how, and I'm hearing it in, 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 in my own way. So let me just stop for a second and check in with them and go, wow, did you mean to just call me a fat cow? No, honey, I meant to make a joke about your book. Oh, okay, cool, thank you. But, like, we just avoided an entire hours with a drama, you know? Mm, wonderful. I'd li- I have just a minute left, and I'd love for you to speak about how does one then just be happy? Well, the thing, happiness is not a destination. It's a choice, and it takes work. It takes accepting that life is never going to be any one way for very long, and that... You know, this is an awesome adventure and a ride. And that if there's a way for you to just hold on and to remember that, it's, that, that times are going to shift and sometimes it's going to be good and sometimes it's going to be bad, but that ultimately you're going to be okay. If you can find that little voice, that little place that just reminds yourself, wow, I've lived so many odd years on the planet and I'm still standing and a lot of stuff has already happened to me, I'm going to be okay. That kind of gives you the foundation to build a sort of happy life from, but knowing that nothing that is external in your world has anything to do with that. 
Wonderful. My guest today has been Betsy Chastie, and she is the author of Tipping Sacred Cows. This is not a book of answers, but a candid, no-nonsense guide to crafting your own answers, as experienced by one of the most humorous and perceptive spiritual experts of our time. As Betsy says, if we aren't laughing, we aren't growing and learning. Definitely connect with her at BetsyChastie.net and get your copy of Tipping Sacred Cows and follow everything else that she will be up to, which I'm sure will be quite a bit. Uh, definitely connect to me as well, Simran-Singh.com. Until next week, in love, of love, with love and as love, be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. Shift happens.